Welcome. Well, uh, last week uh, we had mentioned that a dear old saint, Edith DeVries, uh, was in hospice care. And uh, we announced this week that she has graduated. She's with the Lord. Uh, if uh, the calling hours will be over in Newark, if you knew Edith or Terry and Kathy um, and you'd like to attend, it'll be Tuesday uh, between 4 and 6. Um, we have the information. It's on the, the table there in the back. Um, there will be calling hours for those hours. And at 6 o'clock hour in the funeral home, we're going to have a memorial service. So um, if, you, if you can't make that, uh, keep that in prayer because uh, it's always an opportunity to get the, the gospel out uh, to those uh, who, who uh, perhaps, uh, you know, loved you know, the person who was deceased and a good friend, um, but to know the real secret of their life is to know Christ. And so uh, we hope to, uh, I, um, I always refer to it as when somebody passes on, this is their forwarding address. Um, in glory. Uh, let's turn our Bibles uh, to Revelation chapter 8. Uh, we're studying in the book of Revelation, going, going through it chapter by chapter, and uh, we hope you'll continue with us as we move through it. Um, as we have uh, in chapter 6 uh, entered into uh, the worst uh, world or time this world has ever seen, uh, called the, the Tribulation and the Great Tribulation. Um, we are now in chapter 8. Um, throughout uh, these uh, chapters 6 and 7, uh, we looked at a series of judgment called the Seal Judgments. Remember, uh, Jesus uh, represented as the line of the tribe of Judah. He, uh, he took the scroll and he began to open those seals one by one. He was the only one who was worthy to open that scroll and uh, those, uh, we've seen six seals thus far. And uh, as we get into chapter 8, the seventh seal will open. And as it does, it will also uh, open up what we would refer to as the trumpet judgment. So there's a whole other series of judgments that takes place at the end of this other series called the seal judgments. And so uh, if you'll follow me, we'll read uh, verses uh, 1 through 13 in chapter 8 of Revelation uh, if, you, uh, if you do need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got some back there, and I'm not sure we'll get one into your hands. <clears throat> when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. Uh, he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, uh, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And so the seven angels had the seven, who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed uh, with uh, blood. They were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, uh, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers. And on the springs of water, the name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter or poisoned. And, a, uh, and then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, 
a third of the moon, a third of the stars, and a third of them were darkened. And a third of the day did not shine, likewise the night. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Well, after reading that, aren't you glad you're not going to be there? Lord, we, uh, we look to you today. And Father, you have given this revelation. Lord, you have shown this to mankind. Lord, for the last 2,000 years. Lord, everyone who reads these things, Lord, will have no excuse. And Lord, uh, we thank you that you have provided a way of escape. Lord, you went to a cross. You took the punishment that was well-deserved by us. And Lord, as you took the punishment upon the cross, you took our judgment. Lord, you absorbed our penalty. And simply because, Lord, we have, we have placed our trust, Lord, in you and what you have accomplished for us that we've been given this wonderful promise that we don't have to face, Lord, these judgments, that we don't have to face eternal separation from you. But Lord, uh, we thank you for the blessed and wonderful hope that we have. And yet, Lord, as we read these things, they're so very sobering. We realize uh, those that we know, and even, Lord, some that we love, Lord, will be on the earth at this time. And Lord, I pray that, if anything, Father, uh, reading the prophecies in this book of Revelation, that, Lord, our perspective would be utterly changed. That it wouldn't be about us just enjoying our life. Lord, filling our life with full of things to make ourselves happy. But that, Lord, you'd give us the love for the lost. You'd make us soul winners. Lord, you tell us how important it is that uh, we don't live like the world, but that we, we live with a sense of your soon return. Uh, that, that, Lord, we would be ready. And, Lord, and being ready, Lord, we would Lord, bring others with us. So, Father, uh, we ask you, Lord, to give us understanding now as we talk about these things. Uh, give, us the, give us the wisdom of God. Lord, how we need it in these days at these times. For, Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, well, thus far, we have had uh, six seals uh, in this uh, area of judgment that have been released. Uh, and the world thus far, as we've been reading along here, has witnessed the Antichrist, war, uh, famines, um, mass murder, um, whether you want to call that genocide or not, uh, uh, martyrdom on a grand scale, as we looked at the martyrs there in chapter 5, they're asking for, um, they're basically asking for ju uh, justice. Uh, and then in the six seals, we saw that release, we saw just a, a devastating earthquake and the impact of that, and also to the cosmic uh, uh, disturbances and the things that took place in the, heaven, in the heavens. Uh, uh, actually, uh, thus far, we've seen total chaos, but that's not the end of it as we move now into these particular judgments. But I think what most of all kind of catches my attention is the response of humanity. Uh, the response of humanity to these things taking place, um, you know, so often it, it doesn't seem like uh, no matter what takes place in our world, uh, that there's always going to be unbelief. There's always going to be a rejection. Uh, you know, you read people or people look at the Bible, and it's interesting to me how so many people... <laughs> make uh, estimations and judgments on the Bible, yet they've never read it. They've oftentimes heard somebody's um, unbelieving statements about the Bible, um, you know, some twisted uh, perspective and, uh, you know, what the Bible says. And, and it's easy, I, th I think, to, to cherry-pick uh, verses out of the Bible uh, and distort them. And sometimes it's easy to cherry-pick uh, verses out of the Bible and make the Bible say all kinds of interesting um, things that the Bible's really not saying. Uh, 
And that's why it's important that we keep it, always keep it in context, that we read the Bible uh, faithfully, diligently. Uh, a lot of times, you know, our lives are so distracted that we find it hard to do that. Um, but uh, it, it is amazing that when we, have, when we set aside time and we do read the Bible, um, many people have come to know the Savior just simply reading the Bible. Um, my, uh, my nephew uh, in prison uh, came to know Christ. Uh, he finally had time. <laughs> the Lord has a way of making time in our lives, doesn't he? Uh, we uh, also, to his sister, who was, who was uh, um, really wrapped up in a pretty, pretty serious drug lifestyle, um, she was arrested uh, for not paying a series of tickets. And I uh, remember she uh, several, maybe, maybe earlier sometime in 2017, um, was begging us to help her uh, you know, financially to get out of her mess. And uh, we, we've done that before, and we're not doing that anymore. And we knew she was going in for 30 days, but 30 days ended up being six months. Well, we just got a call this week. She came to Christ, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good stay there, wherever she stayed, and uh, the Lord used it. I, I think oftentimes the Lord uh, uses the very decisions, you know, that we make and put ourselves in a predicament, and we can't get out of the predicament, and they're the things that God uses oftentimes uh, to bring us to him. And, and, of course, as we look at this future time uh, that uh, humanity will go through, these things that will come upon the world, uh, many people will realize that they are there because of their unbelief, you know, because of uh, uh, self-inflicted decisions that they've made, and uh, they will turn to Christ. They will come to the Lord during that, that awful time that is going to come upon the entire world. Um, but I think, you know, in all of these things, one of the things that I, I think comes out very clear to me is that God is, is saying, turn to me and be saved. You know, look to me. God is always, we see that punctuated all the way through the Bible, which really means it's punctuated all the way through history, uh, where God is simply saying, you know, to uh, his creation, you know, turn to me, look to me, you are my creation. Um, and, and, you know, many people will reject the fact that God has created them. And if God has created us, that also uh, implies that he's got a plan for life. He's got a purpose for life. I, I think many people... Uh, um, you know, come to a certain point, uh, and I think that's at different points in our lives. And I can remember as a, as a, as a, as a young person, th you know, as I graduated from high school and went in the service and did all that, um, and, and all the way along there, I'm thinking, you know, you know, what is my purpose in life? You know, what, what is it that I'm, you know, that I'm created to do? Is there something, you know, is there some area, you know, that's going to be, you know, my niche? You know, it's going to be, you know, the thing that really, um, you know, uh, has, you know, just, you know, satisfaction, fulfillment in my life. Um, and, and I remember, you know, and I've shared this before, when, when I came to Christ, I had a lot of great things going on in my life. There was a lot of good things, but I knew, I, I knew in, in spite of it all, I knew that there was an empty space there. And when I heard the gospel, my immediate response to it was to push back. I, I, you, know, I, I, you know, like many of us in America, we grow up in religion. But sometimes when you grow up in an, in an empty, uh, established kind of religion, you think, you know, well, I tried that, and it's simply not there. But when I really heard the gospel, the truth of the gospel, um, and there was all these, uh, we were in our 20s, all these young uh, people uh, declaring, uh, you know, that Christ had come into their life and, and uh, wonderfully changed them. Um, it finally got through to me. It finally got through to me because I knew I was searching, but it just religion was like the last thing. It was the last thing on the list. Uh, as far as Jesus or religiosity, that was not in my wheelhouse at all. That wasn't on the radar screen. Um, it's like, you know, when I heard it, okay, you, I got my religion, okay? <laughs> you stay there, I'll stay here. Uh, but the truth, the Holy Spirit took the truth to my heart and, uh, and I did open up my life and, and, and praise God that, um, you know, here I am 40-some years later. And uh, God has uh, wonderfully, wonderfully blessed. You know, uh, the scripture says, when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. 
That's an interesting thing. When your judgments, and the word there in, in the Hebrew is mishpat, uh, and it basically means that the, it's, it's, a, it's to pronounce a verdict or a sentence. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about his judgments in the sense of, you know, you know, God's spoken word as we look at that over perhaps maybe in Psalm 119. Um, but here it means, it means to pronounce a sen sentence or a judgment. So when God's judgments are in the earth, the world, people of the world are going to learn, are going to turn. Over in Psalm 94, it says this, judgment will return to righteousness. I just want to interpret, interpolate that a little bit. Judgment, judgment will return a person to righteousness. Uh, just like when 9-11 happened, it was, sort of a, it was sort of a judgment in a sense against our country. And all of a sudden, people were looking to God. I remember that. I don't know if you do. Uh, but that's so often the case during great wars, time of great wars and, and national crisis. All of a sudden, people are looking up to God because they realize we can't fix this. You know, this problem is a little too big uh, for you and I. Now, as we get into chapter 8 here, we have to understand what are one of the reasons why God brings judgment. And, it, and, 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 it, and, and we think sometimes, you know, is it just to destroy things? No. That's why when we think about God as we know him, and you only really know God as you know him through biblical history and you see his interaction and you see him working with mankind, that God is always forestalling judgment. He's patient. He's gracious. He's kind. Um, uh, you know, when we see, that's why many people, you know, Peter talks about that. They, they see God's patience as God doesn't care. Many, many, the world thinks that. The unbelieving world thinks that, you know, because uh, they, they, you know, they may hear us and the fact that, you know, you know the church um, may uh, declare or indicate that certain activities are wrong. They're evil. Well, it's amazing. People will hear that and they'll consider it for a bit, but they, you know, God doesn't act. So therefore, you know, uh, he doesn't care and everything's okay. Uh, but that's simply what, you know, they're basically ignoring the fact that God's merciful, that God's patient, that he's waiting for people to turn and to respond to him. And um, so as we come here to, uh, to chapter 8, um, John declares, when he, the Lord, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, I don't know about you, but does that get your attention? Um, heaven is not a quiet place. Heaven is a place where there's singing, there's praise, there's worship. We saw that um, before we, you know, as we uh, looked at, uh, you know, chapter 4, chapter 5, we get a little, uh, John gives us a little glimpse of what's taking place in the heavenly scene. Uh, and it's a place of, uh, of a wonderful activity, a uh, time of just worship and praise and, and adoration. But all that ceases. At this particular point, all that ceases. And there's a great pause before this next series of judgments are, are rolled out. You know, I wonder what that impact also would be upon, earth, upon the earth. You know, this, this silence in heaven, uh, which basically tells us roughly for about half an hour. I, I, think, the, I think the scriptures here, uh, because it is sort of on our part somewhat speculation, but I think the scripture gives us some insights here. And in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, the prophet declares this. He says, be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and he has invited uh, all his guests. So uh, this is in relation to the day of the Lord. Um, you know, silence all the earth. Uh, and again, I think what God is simply trying to do is grab and get the attention. I think with each one of these judgments, and, and, and I think that I don't know exactly how they were rolled out in, in what kind of timely way, how they were interspersed with, you know, a, a pause here and there. But you know that God is doing this to get the attention of people, to get them simply to turn to him. Uh, and in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13, Zechariah says this, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. You know, I can't help but think of, um, as I was thinking about these verses, Psalm 46. Uh, and I'm sure you've read that psalm. And, um, and it talks about upheavals of nature, um, and wars and all this sort of thing. And then you get to verse 10 in Psalm 46, and it says, Be still and know 
that I am God. And, you know, I think that this psalm has certainly, as any scripture does, it, it has a certain amount of present application. But as I have read over Psalm 46, in the light of the day of the Lord, that's a future time. That, that's the predominant um, explanation for Psalm 46. That's its application. That's its predominant application, uh, the day of the Lord. When you read that psalm, read that psalm you know, for your devotions this week. It's a beautiful psalm. Because I love when you look at all these things taking place in Psalm 46. And you get to verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. Does anybody like me have that plaque in their home? I've got two of them. I didn't realize it until I realized, yeah, I got two of them. I think I got three of them, as a matter of fact, uh, in my home. Because it's such a great truth. And it seems to be only as we are still can we really get to know the Lord. And I think he's saying that, uh, it really, in a sense, uh, to the entire world. And again, this pause is very simply God in his mercy saying, hey, look to me, turn to me. Um, now, as we come to verse 2, uh, we meet here seven angels. Uh, we're told that these seven angels stand before the Lord. Uh, it's very possible that these are archangels. Uh, we don't know for sure. That's sort of a, uh, a speculation or a guess. And, um, but, you know, when you see this phrase, uh, this angel here who stands before the Lord, it, it kind of reminds me of a statement that, remember Zechariah when the angel Gabriel came to him and declared to him, you know, basically about his son who was going to be, you know, John, John the Baptist who was going to be born to him. And, um, and uh, you know, we know that uh, Zechariah was basically in, in unbelief. But Gabriel, as he declares who he was, he says, I am Gabriel who stand in the presence of God. So Gabriel is, one of, is, is at least one of those angels, and we know that he's a very important angel, which, which we would call an archangel. And um, so uh, I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given uh, seven trumpets. Uh, now, this seventh and final seal is set in motion is going to release, again, these seven trumpets. Um, very powerful judgments that are going to take place. And we're told in verse 3, another angel, we don't know who this angel is, having a golden censer who came and stood before the altar. And a censer is something where there are coals, um, you know, in a probably a brass uh, container. I can remember in the Catholic Church as a kid growing up, uh, when the priest would, 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 you know, when would mass would be said, uh, the, the priest would walk along the altar and he would shake the censer. And I can still to this day, as soon as I smell frankincense, I go back to that. Anybody else like that? Um, I can go back to, you know, when, when, you know, when the priest would be, uh, you know, shaking the, the, the censer and the altar and the, the, the frankincense would fill, waft through the church. And so the angel here has one of these censers. Uh, he came and stood before the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it uh, with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now these are all the different prayer requests that have never been answered. Uh, these, these are going to finally be answered. Uh, those prayer requests, maybe perhaps maybe some of the prayers that you and I have made for maybe some of our loved ones, you know, for God to save maybe a child. Um, you know, maybe, maybe a parent, maybe a brother or a sister. And uh, finally, these prayers will all be answered. You know, we're told that uh, Jesus Christ uh, is our great intercessor. Uh, we're told in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 34, uh, that he's at the right hand of the Father. He's at the right hand of the Father. Uh, he's making intercession for us according to the will of God. Uh, over in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we're told that he is able to save to the uttermost all that come to God through Christ because he ever lives or always lives to make intercession. I, I wonder if some of, the, uh, you know, some of the difficult times in our lives that we were, you know, there was intervention. That they, and I look back at my life and I, man, I, I can, I, I, for sure, <laughs> I, I have to admit that, that there was divine intervention. Uh, otherwise, I would not be here on this earth. Um, and, and remember, Jesus is, is always living to make intercession. After you came to know Christ, have you looked back on your life and realized there was intervention then? There was intervention. 
or otherwise, you know, otherwise I would have never made it through. Because you know what? You've been chosen before the foundations of the, of the, of the earth, of the world. And so he was actively working to protect us from some of the stupid things that we used to do. Because most of, most of the trouble we get into, quite frankly, self-inflicted, right? You know, by, you know, uh, thinking that we can, you know, survive some stupid decision. And um, I wonder sometimes about these guys who jump out of airplanes and, and they find out their parachute's not working. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I mean, I, I, think, the, I think the worst atheist has to pray at that point. You know, when you're just careening toward the earth. Uh, uh, Lord, help me, kind of a thing. Uh, and certainly, uh, he does. And the smoke of the incense, verse 4, with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar, and he threw it to the earth. Now, what's happening here is all those prayers, God is now intervening. God is now answering those prayers. Uh, this is a symbolic kind of gesture that we see here as, as, as the, you know, the censer is being th uh, you know, thrown uh, to the earth. Uh, but God is finally answering those prayers. And what a wonderful thing that is. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I think maybe we're kind of discouraged because we feel like we pray and we pray and we pray about something or some person. And, and they're, you know, they're, they're not turn there's not a turnaround in their life or it doesn't seem like God's answering that prayer. He will. He will answer those prayers, and that's why it's important. And I think a lot of times, too, God's, you know, answering prayers maybe in a different way than we want him to answer prayers. Do you, do you pray direction prayers like me? I tell God how to do it, and he doesn't seem to listen uh, very much to uh, how I tell him to work things out and do things. He does things his own particular way. He does things, you know, in his own time. But, you know, I love the scripture, and I've, I've oftentimes repeated this, this scripture to myself. It is now time for you to work, Lord. Um, I've, I've many, many, many different times as I've prayed, I've looked at the situation, it kind of worsens. It's now time, Lord, for you to work. And then there's Psalm 102 who says, you shall arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yea, the set time has come. And that is actually speaking to that time when God is going to be reaching out to the nation of Israel um, and revealing himself to them. We've talked about this uh, a number of times before, um, that the two main reasons for this awful time that comes upon the world is to judge, finally judge, a Christ-rejecting world, but also, too, to reveal himself and to fulfill his promises to the Jewish nation. As we've said before, the Jew, the, God's not finished with the Jews. They've just sort of been set aside for a time. For this 2,000-year window, they have been set aside. You know, when you think about the Jews after 2,000 years coming back into their land, be, again, it's like the Seneca Indians taking over New York. Ain't going to happen, okay? But God promised that land to them. He has brought them back. He has established them to be a power uh, in the Middle East. And uh, when we were doing Genesis, we were talking about, uh, as God chose Abraham... Uh, God chose him to, represent, you know, to basically be a new race of people uh, to represent who God was. And, uh, and we were talking about all the different uh, medical, technological breakthroughs and, and the Jewish people being one half of 1% of the world population, um, that God has used them like no other group of people. That's a God thing. That's a God thing. And um, so we see here that the, the, the two purposes, basically, is, is judgment on a world that doesn't want God. Uh, it's his world. He made it. He created us. He can do with, do with us as he wants. You know, he's made us autonomous. He's made us, in, you, know, you know, independent, uh, um, you know, in, in a sense, sense self-determinate individuals. But yet there's still parameters. There, there's still the laws of God that we have to operate within. And, and so what he does, you know, with us at the end of our life, uh, 
um, that, that's, that's, you know, in his hands. That's why he is given a record. He is given a record of what the future is for the believer, for the person who trusts in God, but also, too, for the person who rejects God. Not a good picture. Not a good picture. And so verse 5, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire, threw it through the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And so again here, trumpets in Scripture always signify gathering or warning. And again, God here, these are God's sirens. These are God's warning, warnings to the world. Uh, he isn't just, it doesn't, you know, one thing that we realize that Scripture says, God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And I think right around that verse, it says, turn to me and live. Turn to me and live. God has no pleasure. Um, I think, uh, you know, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, right the week before he was crucified, he looked at the city, and he knew they were going to reject him. And he said, you didn't know the day of my visitation. And he wept. He wept. And, and, you know, it, it breaks the heart, I think, of God when somebody turns from him because he sees what their future is going to be. You know, a lot of people don't realize that this world, that God created it as a blessing. Um, you know, I've heard, I, I've had friends and I've heard statements, you know, growing up. Uh, I don't care about heaven. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't give a damn about heaven uh, because I want to be in hell with all my friends. Not going to be a party there, folks. Not going to be a party. Not going to be fun. See, what hell is is the eternal abode that he's designed for those that don't want God. I, I You know, I... I do funerals all the time, and, uh, and I think there's a great deception regarding the afterlife. Remember the Disney movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven? Well, basically, people think, well, everybody goes to heaven. It's kind of, kind of like automatic, right? It's automatic. <laughs> uh, sorry, not automatic. The, only, the door to heaven is through Jesus Christ. There's only one door. You know, a lot of, you know, people complain, or, you know, are you, are you telling me, are you telling me that Jesus is the only way? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Why not rejoice at the fact there is a way, period? That there's one way, there's any way in. And I know that's offensive to people. I didn't make the rules. Not a whole bunch of creators up there. There's only one. There's only one creator. Only one Savior. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the only way. I am the truth, the only truth. And I am the life. People reject that, but... And, and you know, I, when we speak of these things, they're, they're very sobering, they're very serious. I've often put myself in the place in, of the person who passed, they passed through the portal of this life and they've heard about Christ, they've rejected him, or rejected his offer, free offer. It's, it's totally free. It, it's worth more than $100 trillion because of where all of its implications and its future state. But I, I've oftentimes wondered about a person in their, in their pride, you know, in their arrogance. As they leave this life, and they're not escorted by God's angels, they're escorted by fallen angels. And they're moving down that shaft. They're moving down that shaft. They could smell the smoke. They know what they're heading for. Can you imagine the fear that would come in to your heart, into your life? And knowing all the while that this is my eternal abode. It's, it's incarceration that, that one cannot get out of. 
And when I think about those things, I, I, I realize what's at stake. What's at stake and how important it is. Please don't take for granted that everybody you know is saved. That's silly and foolish for a Christian. I, I see parents all the time take for granted that their kids went to Sunday school. They're saved. Or somebody that agrees with me about some point, you know, biblical point, well, they must be saved. Really? <laughs> I think it's silly to take that for granted. I hope we have a greater concern to love for people. To, to engage them and pray for them and, you know, love them enough to tell them these very things. A lot of people think, well, I don't believe that, so it won't happen. Really? <laughs> really? Now, the first trumpet we find here, now, these events are, are not an allegory, okay? They're not some little story to prove a moral point, okay? There are some symbolisms here. There's no doubt about that. But I think more importantly, we have to realize these are literal events with dire consequences. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. They were thrown to the earth, and the third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, for a minute, imagine the impact of the entire earth service, one-third of the earth's uh, surface being basically devastated. Do you realize how vast the earth is? I was just doing a little research. Well, how much would one-third be? How much, how much would 33% of the entire global land mass, what would that be like? Well, that would include these nations. Russia, China, the USA, Canada, and Australia. That's one-third. Is that not huge? Because can, uh, Russia's 11%, China's 6.3%, we're 6.1%, can, 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 Canada's 6.1%, Australia's 5.2%. So you got 33% there. Devastating when you think about it. And, you know, by any measurement, this is an ecological you know, disaster of uh, horrific proportions. And also, too, you know, when you read the Bible, it, you know what? It makes you smart. Don't waste your time being a tree hugger. Okay? I, I think the environmental activists are going to lose their mind. You know, Al Gore and company. They're going to go berserk. Now, listen, I've been a conservationist my whole life. I've been a conservation. As a matter of fact, I'm a hunter. I can't remember the last time I got a deer, so I pay every year to support the conservation <laughs> department quite well. I don't think we, we should destroy the earth. But at the same time, too, be careful that you don't make a career out of that. Don't worry, Father God will take care of Mother Earth. Don't invest your life in saving the planet. Because you know what? God's going to renovate it. It's all going to be renovated. Now the next event we find here in the second trumpet, verses 8 and 9, could be a, volca a volcano or it could be a meteor. We're, we're, we're just not simply sure. Uh, I, I tend to think it would be a volcano because we don't find it coming out of the sky. The second angel sounded in something like a great solid our great mountain burning with fire. This is a solid thing. And was thrown into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. And a third part, or a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Uh, recent, I did a little research, uh, and sometimes you don't know these things, what's going on in the scientific world until you do a little research. Um, just recently, Stan was showing me, uh, Lydia had sent him uh, a video of Fuego, the volcano, right down there in Guatemala, uh, how that thing was, you know, all fired up and, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, having its eruptions. Uh, but the article says this, volcanic eruptions in Japan, this is January 23rd, 2018, so it's just a couple weeks ago. 
Volcanic eruptions in Japan, the Philippines, and Bali, massive earthquakes in Alaska uh, and Indonesia. And we sent out a prayer thing about a week or two ago uh, because uh, our guys up there in Kodiak had to go to the high, the high land because they were, they were looking, they were, uh, there was a tsunami watch uh, taking place from that uh, Alaskan earthquake. It says the rash of natural disasters over the past two days have one common denominator. They all occurred uh, along the so-called ring of fire, which is a sprawling horseshoe-shaped geological disaster zone. At least five different events occurred in the ring of fire on Monday and Tuesday, including a magnitude 7.9 earthquake that rattled the town of Kodiak, Alaska, and the eruption of Mount, um, another mountain uh, that is uh, northwest of Tokyo. Can't quite pronounce that one. Yek, sa Yek said uh, the sire, which encompasses 452 volcanoes, and where more than 80% of the world's largest earthquakes occurred, is constantly active. The Ring of Fire stretches 25,000 miles. It goes from New Zealand up through Indonesia, the Philippines, Japan, then across the Aleutian Islands, and down the coast of Alaska, Canada, and the west coast of the United States, all the way down to the tip of South America. And I would imagine uh, in this future day that uh, those things are going to be lit up like a Christmas tree. Um, and again, I think these are little, these are little warning things, little warning things. Like, like remember when we were talking about the Antichrist? That there have been people, there have been figures uh, through history, you know, some of the Caesars, um, you know, some of the Tsars and, and Hitler. They have been Antichrist type. They're not the actual figure. And I'm sure that that generation of people who were reading their Bible is saying, okay, that had to be the guy. You can be sure, I, I, if any of us would lived in the 1930s and 1940s, and we're Christians, we're biblical Christians, and with uh, the attempts against the destruction of the Jewish people, and again, we know our Bibles, we would have said, that's got to be the, Hitler's got to be the Antichrist. No, he was a type of. And so we see this in so many different ways. You know, God indicating to different generations, uh, basically, hey, be ready. Be ready. The Bible tells us to be ready at any time because Jesus Christ can come. Now, the thing that we see here in verse 9, uh, did a little research there. There are 52,000 merchant ships globally. There are 9,000 naval ships and boats worldwide. There are 496 cruise, cruise ships that basically house over 20 million people annually. So you can imagine, uh, and of course, not all those boats are going to be at sea at any given time, but one third of them, one third, I would say, of those global fleets. Um, it is amazing how many boats, you know, um, merchant marine type boats, you know, freighters, naval vessels, submarines, uh, cruise ships are in the ocean at any given time. You, uh, you, don't, you definitely don't want to be on a carnival cruise. Um, um, that's going to be quite the excursion, I'll tell you. Uh, by the way, I love cruises. They're, I think they're, they're a great deal. But uh, of late, we've heard some sad stories. Now, Jesus said in Luke 21 that we're going, there'll be fearful sights from heaven. And we see that certainly taking place uh, in these judgments. And particularly here in verse 10, the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven. So the word star here is aster in the Greek. Uh, it's where we get the word asteroid. Um, it fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and the springs uh, of water. And again, here, this object, it falls basically out of the cosmos, um, uh, having tremendous impact on the, the waters, the fresh waters, not the, not the sea waters, but the fresh waters. Uh, subterranean, the springs, all the subterranean sources of water uh, are poisoned. We, as a matter of fact, you, you see a reflection of one of the plagues of Egypt. Remember uh, Moses um, 
And uh, I think even as I say that uh, the Ten Commandments movie comes to mind when Moses goes down to the Nile River and dips his staff into the river and all of a sudden um, the river, you know, gradually becomes blood. And again, these here, uh, they may have some natural, you know, natural impact or effects to it, but I think they're, I think they're really more supernatural. I think the, the effect of it is really more supernatural. And so we have this great uh, uh, star burning like a torch, you know, falling upon the water sources uh, of the world. And the name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And men, many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Now, symbolically, angels sometimes uh, are referred to as stars. Um, and I would, I would simply say that we have some symbolism here that this star here uh, is no doubt a fallen angel. The name here being basically Wormwood. Um, you know, when you go into the Russian language, that's how you say Chernobyl. Uh, that, that's the, the, the definition there, the translation for Wormwood in Russian. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think that this is going to be a, a, uh, uh, a nuclear accident, okay? This is going to be a supernatural event uh, that takes place. And we're going to see many people will die. Many people will die because of the thirst. Um, we were talking about some of the judgments uh, last week that the angels were holding back the winds. But when you hold back the winds and there's no wind on the earth, that affects the hydrologic cycle of evaporation of the great you know, ocean basins and so forth. And so therefore, when you have no wind, you're not bringing, you're not bringing clouds, you're not bringing rain in. Um, and so that, the impact of that, you know, people, people are thirsty. And so they begin to drink these poisoned waters. You know, what I think is also interesting too, you know, the Bible, when, when Jesus refers to his truth and his gospel, he refers, to it, he refers to when you come to Christ, you come to the living waters, okay? And what happens here, I think, in a, in a, in a you know, kind of a you know, supernatural kind of way, in a figurative kind of way, when you don't receive the living water, you know, that Christ offers, then you drink the waters that the world offers, and they're poisoned. You know, eventually, it kills you. You know, when a person just lives for the things of this world, that's why Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37, uh, he said, you know, uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home. I don't know if I ever told you this before, but I was a teenage alcoholic. Because I was allowed to drink. I was eight years old. And I can remember sitting in the kitchen with all the men playing cards. And I remember my grandfather cut. He was getting out a new cigar, cigar and he cut it in half, and he gave me that half a cigar. He didn't light it up for me. But he poured me a little glass of beer, put a spoonful of sugar in it for me, gave me some pennies and a handful of cards. And I was one of the boys at eight years old. So I know a few things about alcohol. Because one of the things I used to think about as a kid, because every event we ever had, had booze. Whether it was a wedding, a baptism, a holy communion, a funeral, Christmas, Easter, everything. Booze was a big part of it. And I can remember sitting there thinking, how can you be so thirsty? How can you be so, as I look at the adults, how can you be so thirsty to keep you all night long? <laughs> all weekend long. All life long. Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come to me. And let him drink. And I'll tell you what, the that living water that Jesus supplies, man, it'll, it'll satisfy your soul. It'll satisfy your life. These men, they're drinking the wrong thing. They're drinking the devil's poison and they die. Well, let's wrap this up. 
Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon, the stars were darkened. Uh, a third of the day did not shine, likewise the night. So here the sun is, is smitten, struck, only temporarily because we see when you get to chapter 16, it's intensified. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. And what I see here is, man, God's mercy. They have just observed spectacle after spectacle. They have witnessed these judgments of God. And here is this angel in flight. Does anybody's Bible say eagle? Okay. Remember, if you, could, you go back to, I think it's chapter 4, verse 6 or 7. Remember the cherubim there? One cherubim is what? Likened to an angel, a flying angel. It's a cherubim. That's who this angel basically is. And he's announcing here, he's warning of this terrible time ahead. See, God always does that. He always shows us, hey, what's down the road? You ever been in a position where a road's out? And you, you, you come down to the end of the road? It's wiped out? What do you, what do you want to do? You want to stay there and warn people. Margie and I, a couple years ago, um, were requested by somebody who knew this couple who were on a motorcycle, and they're riding at night, and basically they didn't see that the entire, there was a, the, the, there was a, a big gaping hole. The road was under construction, but they had been drinking, and they didn't, they didn't realize it. They went down in that hole, and I'll tell you what, these, these, this, these two folks were, I, I, I can appreciate it because I drive a motorcycle, and uh, it, it puts the fear of God in you when you see that what can happen to somebody on a motorcycle. We see what's heading, what, what, what this nation, what this world is heading into without Christ. Folks, we want to tell, we want to, we want to tell folks. It's a horrible time. To live without Christ, to, to, to not know him, to, to know him as life. Jesus said that I, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He's, he's woeing here. He's warning basically in triple, triplicate, and, and he's doing it out of love. Uh, listen to 2 Peter, and we'll close with this. Uh, 2 Peter, chapter 3. And verse 7, but the heavens and earth which are now preserved by the same word. He just had been talking about Noah's judgment. But they're now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire. Until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But he says to us, to the believer, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And what he's simply reminding us there is, you know what? Because God's patient, don't, don't write these things off. Don't write these things off. God's patience is salvation. That's why God holds off judgment. Maybe there's somebody else. Maybe somebody will turn. Maybe somebody that you love, you're praying for, and you're talking to, will turn this week, possibly. Turn to Christ. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some people count slackness. But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 puts it like this. Speaking of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth.
as we close in prayer, I want to give you an opportunity. You know, many years ago, I was a new preacher. And God, one Sunday, cured me of trying to entertain people. Trying to be funny. I preached a service and had a lot of people laughing. And one man drove out the driveway and his car was T-boned and he died on the spot. And I realized that the responsibility I have as a, as a pastor is very serious, very sobering. Because the people that maybe hear a message may never come into a church again. And it's really a matter of eternal significance. So if you would like to commit yourself to the Lord this morning, I have no intention here to embarrass anybody. But remember Jesus hung for us publicly on the cross. And any time you ever called anybody, you called them publicly. And if you'd like to make that commitment, that declaration, I'd like to have you stand. Don't be afraid. It's your moment, your opportunity. Let's all stand. Lord, we uh, are truly grateful, Lord, for your offer. We're thankful, Lord, for the cross. To realize, Lord, you gave your life for us as individuals. And you call us, Lord, to make that personal. And Father, we thank you for the life that you offer us. We take it by faith. We pray, Lord, for your, your spirit, your resurrection power to be active in our lives. Lord, we read these things and they are downright sobering. They're, they're serious, Lord. They're serious because we realize, Lord, people's lives hang in the balance. We're not here to play church. We want to live for Christ. We want to make a difference for you, dear Lord. And we thank you, Lord, you've, you've put your love in our hearts for people. And I pray, Lord, that some of the prayers and concern and love that we have, Lord, would be be realized before the day comes when we're not here anymore and these times that we read about this morning will be. Lord Paul said that the love of Christ constrained him. It moved him, motivated him. I can't think of any better motivation than Lord to have your love Lord, we know it's not about people joining our church. Not about another notch on our belt. It's about people being saved, coming to relationship with you, to know you, the true and the living God. 
So I pray, Father, you would bless your people as we go, Lord. Make us soul winners. Make us, of, make us lovers of God and lovers of good people. Use us, we pray, for your name, for your glory. We pray, Father, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.